Hope everybody is doing good, doing well. We're running just a little, little slow this evening, trying to get everything hooked up and ready here for you. It's the snow. Yep, yep. It's supposed to be a, a snowy day tomorrow, so schools have already been canceled, and our weather policy is when the schools are canceled, we close the office just to keep everybody cozy and safe, so... Uh, obviously, if things change, we, it might change, so just uh, bear with us as we try to deal with the weather. So, Check one, two. yeah, you know, when school gets canceled, everyone gets a little rebellious. And welcome uh, Colton Ezerback from Wyoming, hip hip, <laughs> hip hip, <laughs> for he's a jolly good fellow. No. Yeah, let's not wear it out. Let's not overdo it. That's right. That's right. Good, good word. Good word. You know, I will say it is nothing short of a miracle that we made it back. Uh, I've heard of some people who didn't make it to their destination. Flights uh-huh. were canceled. Bags were lost. Uh, airlines told them they'll never get their bags back again. Yep. Um, so praise the Lord, because I was like, man, Joe, what if we would have not been able to get our bags and our girls would have? Hey. I told Joe I'd be calling and get my bags back. <laughs> so, yeah. I have to. I hate to. Uh, Kathy, hold it for just a second. Um, I hate to interrupt his uh, the the banter here, but while this is going around, this is the and I didn't, I mean that in the best possible way. Okay. Um, while this is going around, this is the prayer sheet for prayer requests. Okay. Also on this, we are trying to prep for the next phase of Wednesday night Bible studies. I think we're going to finish this up. What did I say? Mid like mid March. Mid March, like I think, is the last one. Um, of next year? No, no, this year. <laughs> so after that, <laughs> go back to Wyoming. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so so after after that, we are going to go into another phase of study, and it's going to be about spiritual warfare, and it's going to be the hard questions of Scripture. So what I want you to do is, when this is passed out tonight, if you have a prayer request, go ahead and put that on there. And then somewhere on here on the line or somewhere on this other page or whatever, if you have a question about a scripture in the Bible or if you just have a question about the Bible, I want you to write it on these blanks and turn it back into us. Because what we're trying to do is we're trying to, to find out the things theologically maybe you struggle with that we don't know about uh, that we can uh, address uh, in, a, in a Wednesday night Bible study. So we're going we're gonna, to uh, gather all these questions over the next several weeks. Then we're going to go and we're going to study up on all the questions that, you have, that you've asked. And then we're going to dedicate each Wednesday night Bible study to each of these questions and blend in a spiritual warfare study with that. So it should be really interesting. So example maybe? Of go right ahead, man. Give, you, be, you, give uh, them, you give them an example. Like, so the questions on this are a question about Scripture. This one's weird, but I mean, you're going to come up with hmm. weird questions. I'm oh, sure. no, no, I'm sorry. Um. What does it mean that Noah's nakedness was un- uncovered by him? Sure. I mean, that's that's one sure. that everyone asks about. Yeah, that's, that's a good or, one. Or uh, who were the Nephilim, right? I mean, that's a... Now, and then you can go into... Those are kind of fun, kind of interesting questions, but you can also go into some more serious ones. I mean, you can, you can ask any question you want. I mean, I mean, the, the, one of the most controversial questions in the, in, in the Scripture is, you know, what, is, what does uh, Paul mean when he says the husband of one wife? Uh, as a pastor or deacon. I mean, that's a controversial question. You can ask that question. You can ask, uh, you know, what's your interpretation of the Scripture? What, what, is, what does it mean? What are the different views of Revelation? And which one, uh, which one is, the, is the most accurate or the, or the most correct? Uh, you can ask anything like yeah. that. You know, yeah. um, the Nephilim. The Nephilim have three, uh, three broadly accepted interpretations of who the Nephilim were in Scripture. Anything like that that you want to ask, put on that piece of paper. Now, obviously, the reason why we're getting these questions ahead of time right? And not letting you do it in live time because who knows what question David could come up with, right? And then David asked this wild question. <laughs> Look at him, yeah. Then David asked this wild question and we have no idea. Or, Jack comes up with some or, or, or it could be, you know, crude or something. So, so we're trying to, we're trying to kind of filter those questions out and then have an answer prepped for you that night. So. Well, and also it helps us just to kind of plan out where we're heading with, with this series. And so if you would, we really would appreciate if you do submit those questions and uh, as early as you can. Right. You know, if you have one that just pops in the brain, like right before we start our series, please submit it, and yeah. we'll try to fit it in. But. Yeah, and, and again, it doesn't have to be specifically about a scripture. It can be a theological question in general, okay? Anything you want to do. All right, well, Hebrews, we are going to try to finish tonight. Uh, Colton's back with us, as you can see. He's happy to be back. Yep. 
Um, now, I believe we got through, we were, we were heading toward uh, chapter 7, I believe if that's correct, I think, somewhere in there. We, I know we were on the section um, about Jesus being better than uh, the high priest. I think that's right. So y'all just bear with me as we get there. So I'll just, just speed through these right quick. The superiority of the person of Christ. Jesus is better than the prophets. Jesus is better than the angels. Jesus is better than Moses. Jesus is better than Joshua. Jesus better than Aaron as priest. And as you can see of all those, um, that is the one that the writer of Hebrews gives the most material to. One of them just goes a few verses. One of them goes about, a, I don't know, about a chapter, one chapter Moses, one chapter Joshua. Then with Aaron as priest, you have, what, three chapters? Five, isn't that right? Five, six, seven, eight, four chapters. Is that right? Five, six, seven, eight, yeah. Yep. Well, and five verses. So uh, he's making a really big point on this one, okay? So let's get on down to it here. I think we've done all this, hadn't we? Y'all help me out. We, we've done all this, right? I was, Brandon was here. Yes, he, he, he helped was. me walk through all this, and I'm pretty sure, pretty That's sure we got through. Mo- I know we got through. Jesus is better than angels. I know we got through that because we talked about the warnings. Um, let's see. Slide 24. I know we talked about Joshua. I know we talked about that. Okay, so we got through this one in the order of Melchizedek because we spent a good bit of time talking about uh, how interesting. Now, and that would be a great c- question. Uh, about the scripture, you know, oh, who, was who was Melchizedek? And I mean, it, that that's that is a mysterious one there. So that would be a good one to ask. Yes. Um, I think. Yeah, I think we got. Yeah, I think we got through this. The ironic priest died, but Christ will continue forever with an unchangeable priesthood. I think we got through that. Okay. Well, let's just keep on going here, and um, we'll yep. see how it goes. All right. So Jesus is better than Aaron as priest. So Jesus was given an all-inclusive priesthood, our intercessor, for all who come to God by him because he offered himself as our sacrifice. How many times? One time. Exactly right. So the the great comparison that is being made here, and this is what you kind of need to keep in your mind about this whole book, is that uh, the writer of Hebrews is comparing the old sacrificial system to the new sacrificial system, which was of God's son, one time and one time only as compared to hundreds of years with what? Animals, right? Okay. Jesus is our high priest on the right hand of God. Note in Hebrews 8, 1, we have, we have. Jesus was a fulfillment of the shadow pictured in Aaron's priesthood in Hebrews 8, 1 through 5. Now, the parenthetical section of Hebrews, I think this is right where we stop, of Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 20, this is a warning again about departing from the word of God. I do believe this is exactly where we stopped. I think we actually read through this and, um, and then continued on, okay? So the warning, let, let's just start there, and, I, and I'll just read through it briefly, because we, if, we, if we spend too much time on this, we're, gonna, we're not going to get finished. So if you have your Bible, turn to chapter 5 and go to cha- at the end of chapter 5, verse 11, and we're going to read through chapter 6, the opening verses there, okay? So about this, we have much to say, meaning Melchizedek is the high priest. Everything he said in chapter 5, Jesus is the high priest. About this, we have much to say, and it is hard to explain since you have become, key phrase, dull of hearing. What does that mean? That means that the people that are listening to the teaching are getting bored with what they're hearing and they want something different, they want something more exciting, they're just tired of hearing this and so they're, they're waning away and they're drifting from it, okay? The gospel, the word of God, no matter where it is, should never be boring to you as a believer, okay? Never, ever should be boring to you. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the basic principles of the oracles of God. You need milk, not solid food, for everyone who lives on milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness since he is a child. But solid food is for the mature, for those who have their powers of discernment trained by constant practice to distinguish good from evil. Boy, I mean, how many of you long for the church of Jesus Christ to be able to do that? I mean, think about this culture right now with everything we've experienced the past two years. I mean, hopefully your, your, your discernment has grown through what we have seen over the past two years. I mean, there was probably more lies, more conspiracy theories, 
over the past two years than I've heard in the previous 52 years of my life. I mean, probably the only conspiracy theory that I really grappled with a lot was the JFK assassination. Remember the movie that came out? It was a conspiracy. It was more than JFK and all that. Well, all the stuff with the vaccination and the COVID, that just gobbled all that up. I mean, I've never seen so much back and forth YouTube videos about all that. So hang in the word of God, learn the word of God, and you'll be able to distinguish good and evil. Therefore, let us leave the elementary doctrine of Christ and go on to maturity, not laying in a foundation of repentance from dead works and the faith toward God and of instruction about washings, the laying on of hands, the resurrection of the dead, the eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits, for it is impossible to restore again to repentance those who have once been enlightened, who have tasted the heavenly gift and have shared in the Holy Spirit and have tasted the goodness of the word of God and the powers of the age to come. If they then fall away, since they've been cruci- they say are crucifying once again the Son of God to their own harm and holding him up in contempt. For land that is drunk, the rain often falls on it and produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. For if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. So, I got a, uh, Nathan, I got a message right here from Robert Gentry that said he couldn't get the live feed. I just thought I'd tell you right quick. So, he gives us all of these different things. And what this is, in, in my ESV, this actually says this is a warning against apostasy. So, I, say, I was about to say young scholar. Scholar, what is apostasy? What is apostasy? Well, it's a, uh, essentially abandoning the faith. Um, and, you know, it's interesting. I, I feel like here, you know, there, you talk about a difficult question. Who is, who is this writer, whether it's Paul or someone else, uh, someone else associated with the apostle or another apostle, who is he writing to? Um, is he writing to believers or is he writing to unbelievers? That's, that's a really hard question to wrestle with. Um, I think that he's talking to believers, encouraging them um, to not act like unbelievers. Because <laughs> he's, he's telling them, <clears throat> essentially I think he's telling them, look, you, you, should have, you have been presented with these elementary doctrines. You either accept them, receive them, and grow or you're going to apostatize and I think that, so this is the warning here you're either going to receive these things and grow in the faith and not say sitting down and hunkered down on these questions is Jesus really the Savior or do we need something else you need to stop wrestling with that receive fully that Christ is Lord and continue on in the faith and grow in Christ because if you don't, then you truly have not received Christ and you, you will apostatize. Uh, I love if you remember Shelby's sermon on this, because I vividly do, because this passage has generated a whole lot of questions for me, um, that this is, again, not talking about losing your salvation, but it's talking about someone who, again, I think exactly what he's laying out here, that they're, they're wrestling with these questions, they're staying hunkered down on these, these elementary points that should be clear, they've been clarified, and they apostatize from the faith. Um, they, they, they've been a part of the congregation. I remember you saying that mm-hmm. in your sermon. They, they've, they've um, uh, everything he lists here, they, they've joined in in the worship, so to speak, all of these things, and then they leave. They apostatize. It, it's, they, they had the appearance as though they were one of the flock, and then they, they jetted out. And this is what he's warning them against, and I truly feel like these are believers, because you go down to verse 9, and he says, though we, uh, though we speak in this way, Yet, in your case, beloved, we feel sure of better things, which he's obviously saying we feel sure that you're not going to apostatize, that you have received the faith, but you need to, you need to grow and move on, is mm-hmm. what he's saying. So, yeah, yeah. that's good. Uh, Stringfellow here points out that he's t- he brings in Acts 15, and he brings in uh, about the old Jewish customs, kind of explaining what, uh, if you remember, the context of this was you had Jewish people, uh, that probably priests that had come into the faith, and then as they came into the faith, then those that were not coming into the faith were persecuting those that had and, and trying to force uh, Jewish customs upon them and, and when, when Paul and the apostles were trying to tell them that, that salvation is by faith alone. So he's basically saying that the, that, the, that the letter of Hebrews seems as though it was targeted to those Jewish priest Christians 
uh, who, had profe- who had professed faith, who were coming to Christ, but they were being persecuted and they were, they were, they were under threat or the pull to go back toward yeah. uh, their, their, their Jewish heritage. You know, I think one thing, other thing we should say here before we move on, because I do think it's yeah. really important. Um, it's something we've talked about a lot, actually, and dialogued on, that I think the church today in our culture, we, and I hate to say it this way, but we're a John 3.16 culture. Yep. Uh, and hey, look, John 3.16 is an amazing passage. Praise God for John 3.16 or we wouldn't be saved. We would have no hope, right? But, but we can't have a one-verse theology. Um, and we can't get hung up and, and stick on the point of, am I saved? Am I not saved? Am I saved? Am I not saved? I feel saved today, so I guess I'm saved. Well, wait a minute. I don't know. Tomorrow I don't feel so saved. Maybe I'm not saved. <laughs> this is, I think we're almost rehashing the same thing that he's talking about here. And I've been around you guys enough to know that I would quote verse 9 to you. I feel sure of better things. But in our churches, I think we, we, we become saints in the Lord. We're redeemed. And he redeems us to something. The goal of our faith isn't conversion. The goal of our faith, we already have the faith. The goal of our faith is to become vibrant for the Lord and to mm-hmm. shine his glory in the, in the world. Mm-hmm. Not to hoard it into ourselves and make sure that we confirm in our hearts over and over and over and over and over and over and over again that we actually belong to Christ. Because I, I'm harping on this point because I sit in classes and I hear people, I hear it coming out of their hearts from their mouths that they have this paranoia that maybe they're not. <laughs> And it's like, look, brother, sister, do you trust in Christ? Do you, right, do you believe in your heart of hearts that he died for you on that cross and your sin? Man, you're redeemed. Get up, come on, and let's go. Yeah. Let's win the world for Christ. <laughs> let's, yeah. let's grow in the faith. That's, I mean, exa- yeah. exactly. It, I, I think it's, I think it's uh, things in the past a lot of times. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, th- I think haunt. I, I mean, I know I've got things in my past that haunt me from time to time. I mean, Satan... Satan will allow them to, um, you know, to get in my mind and make me think, you know, you're not really, you're not really saved. You're, you're not, you're not really, you know, whatever. And I'm like, no, yes, I am. I know I am. I know what God has freed right. me from. And I think about those past sins and, and I have to remember what God has delivered me from and, and what he's done in my heart. And it's just something that, you know, I don't go through it like every week, but I mean, periodically, periodically yeah. that, that, that comes and I, and I have to, you know, I have to go to the word of God and I have to remember and I have to focus on it. And I think there's a difference in what you just said and what he's talking about, because when you get mature enough, what you begin to do is you begin to battle those lies in your head with the word of God, mm-hmm. the gospel truths. And you get better at it. Eventually, you come to the point with certain struggles in your heart and your mind where you can, you can cast down that lie quickly uh, and slay it with God's word because you know the truth. You've exposed yourself enough to the truth and believed it and walked in it enough to where you're like, hey, so one for me is, you know, I, I love when people think well of me. I don't like to fail. I don't like to look like a failure in front of people. Well, you know, the gospel tells me I am a failure. So it's great because I can say, sorry, Satan, I am a failure. So, and Christ is, is, the, is the succeeder. He's the, he's, he's the victor. So I'm going to put my trust in him and ride on his coattails. See you later, yep. Satan. <laughs> so, That's it. Yeah. All right, so moving on here. So James declared the same thing in Acts 15. Uh, Hebrews 5, 11 through 6, 20 is what we just, just talked about. There was a low standard of understanding spiritual things. There was an apathetic attitude. Um, some of those Jewish believers would have already been teaching, but they wanted to stay on the bottle. I really like, I like, I thought maybe a, a Baptist church or two could probably call it Bottle Baptist Church. That was humor. Get it? Bottle Baptist Church. Bottle Baptist All we do church. is stay on the elementary principles here. We never, we never fully mature. Uh, and drink milk and not eat good food, such as the meat of the word. The people who stay on the bottle never mature and grow above the basic principles of salvation. Hebrews 5, 13 and 14. So I can't remember who I've, I've, I've heard somebody say it a lot. There's nothing more, there's nothing uglier than an old baby. Is that what somebody said? Like a, oh there's God. nothing uglier than an old baby. Was Clayton maybe say that? I, I don't know if maybe I heard him say that. I don't, I don't know. Tiffany says, mm, I don't know. That, uh, that's, 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 that, that would be ugly though for sure. Um, yes, it would be. Therefore, let us go on to maturity. So move from the mere foundation of the six facets carried over from the Old Testament, which all prefigured Christ. Repentance from dead works, faith toward God, doctrine of baptism, laying on of hands, resurrection of the dead, eternal judgment. Um, and then he says, now read and underline Hebrews 6, 4 through 5. 
uh, and this he and he spends a little time on this because this is a this is a controversial passage that that a lot of people have tried to to use to say that you can lose your salvation. I believe this is the part where he goes in and gives you all the different interpretations of this. And we don't have to go through um, um, all of these. I can, I can give you what I believe is going on here uh, pretty quick, just like Colton had mentioned, because when we went through Hebrews, I, I addressed this very, very plainly from the pulpit. And let me just be sure that this is, yeah, this is it. Let me go back just so you can uh, track with me here. Once those are enlightened, have tasted the heavenly gift, partakers of the Holy Spirit, taste the good word of God, Tasted the power of the world to come, have fallen away. Fallen away means fall down, stumble, to renew them to repentance, not salvation, to crucify themselves to the Son. So what they're saying is, what he's saying is, is that this is not talking about somebody that is, um, that, that, is, that is lost, right? It's talking about somebody uh, that, that has backslidden as a Christian. And, what, and th- this is what I think. I, I think that there's two, there's two different things that can happen. Uh, and we have to be sure to delineate the two of these. I believe that a Christian, uh, a, a true born-again Christian, uh, can backslide. Who believes that? Raise your hand. Okay. I, I don't believe that they backslide forever. Let me be sure that I make that very clear. Okay. I believe if they are a child of God, at some point, at some point, God will either take them home, take them out, as in, as in call them home early, or the conviction will come on them and they will come to repentance and they will, they will turn their life around through, through God's power. Uh, Peter? Peter, anyone? sure. Right, sure. denial of Christ sure. three times? And Ananias and Sapphira, the two that I was thinking about who had lied to God and got, God you know, smote them dead uh, and took them out. Uh, the yeah. other side of this is, is, is I, I believe that there are those who have, according to the parable of the sower, uh, they have received the truth in joy, but they had no root. Therefore, when trial and persecution comes on account of the word of God, what happens to them? They fall away. They're not saved, okay? They, they were never saved. And what happens sometimes is that, and not all of them become what I would consider enemies of the faith or apostate. I, I believe an apostate, like what they're talking about here, an apostate is somebody who claimed to be a believer, then fell away, and not only do they fall away, but they begin to do what to the faith? Attack it, persecute it, uh, publicly, privately. To me, that's really more of an apostate than just somebody who's a backslidden Christian. Although yeah. Peter, Peter would fall into the category of a, of a, of a brief apostate. He doesn't last very long. Oh, sure, yeah, sure. I would say, I think, you could, I think you could have either one, uh, but, but I, I would, I would as, a, as a pastor, I would tend to offer charity in that situation and just say that the individual was, was truly a believer but was just deeply uh, grieved and didn't understand and was having a very difficult time sorting through you know, what was happening in their life. But I will say this, if that continued forever, then, then that may be evidence that they're, not, that they're not in the faith. Yes, sir. I would answer that question by saying it all depends on the behavior and the actions and the words uh, on the one that has fallen away either from regular assembly or, or whatever. If that individual is, is peaceful and not attacking the church and not being divisive and not trying to inflict persecution and pain upon the body, then I would say most likely... No, go ahead. I, I was just going to say, I think, I think there's a really good answer in Matthew 18, uh, the, the traditional church discipline passage. And if you just fast forward to verse 17, it says, if he refuses to listen to them, tell it to the church. Uh, uh, let me see. Uh, tell it to the church. And if he refuses to listen even to the church, let him be to you as a Gentile 
and a tax collector. Mm -hmm. Truly, I say to you, whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. The authority of the church. That's where I, that's where I root my confidence in, in the fact that, you know, we, we are, you know, we, we're not priests in that sense. You know, uh, we, we rest in a vested authority of the church together. So when the church decides and says, hey, this person is not acting according to the faith, and we've, we've warned them, we've loved them, we've walked with them, we've wept with them, we've pleaded with them to turn to Christ, and they will not. The authority of the church together says we can no longer recognize this brother as a, as a, a fellow brother in Christ. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God's going to still recognize that person. Now they may have to stand before Christ at the right on judgment. Like that right. But still, but that, 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 the way the Bible that person could still be rational. Right. I'm, I'm simply, yeah. And have no rewards at all. Yeah. Right. Sure. Yeah, I'm simply saying that maybe kind of like what Shelby was saying, they could be like a uh, like one of the three soils, though. That mm-hmm. they're not truly saved. They had the smell and the look of a Christian, but then they but then they really truly didn't ever believe what? in Christ. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Right. And the rain doesn't absorb. Right. And that and that's what I was talking about. To, to me, when he says that bears thorns and thistles, that's that's the fruit. See, and thorns and thistles are throughout Scripture represent the fall from you know from Genesis. So, I think your original question was: as a pastor, do we have the? What did you say? Not the right. I think you said to to condemn somebody. I don't know that I would say condemn, but I would definitely say we absolutely are mandated to discipline church members who, who show outward signs of unconversion and resistance to the authority of God. For instance, 1 Corinthians 5, one of the most scandalous sins chronicled in the Bible where this man has his father's wife, stepson I would assume, uh, they are having sexual relations. And word gets to Paul that, that, that not only is the church not disciplining it, but the church is kind of like laughing about it and making a big joke about it and not doing anything about it. And he is deeply grieved over that and demands that that person be expelled out of the church. Uh, so I would say, again, based on behavior, if someone is a professing believer, they have been caught in a transgression or sin and they have been approached by a, 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 a church representative, okay? And they consistently resist the, the teaching of the scripture and consistently do not come to repentance, then absolutely you are mandated to remove that person from the church, from the church membership. That, that is what, that's, I mean, Matthew 18, third step, I mean, is what Colton's talking about. Uh, there's also other passages I believe it's in Titus where he said, where he, where he, uh, tra- either Titus or Timothy, he trains him. He says, warn a divisive man once, warn him twice. The third time, have nothing further to do with him. Treat him like an unbeliever. Treat him like an unbeliever. So, so there, there is this clear mandate in the New Testament. Number one, we don't stone people to death anymore, right? <laughs> that was Old Testament. So thank God for that. Amen. Yeah, praise God. The only authority we have. The only thing, the only, I mean, for lack of a better term, punishment, quote unquote, that we can inflict on somebody is exclusion from the Lord's table, participating in the Lord's Supper, and exclusion from church membership. That is it. And only up until the point to where they approach the church in repentance. If they come to public repentance, whether or not I think it's genuine or not, that's not my call. If they come publicly and offer repentance, now we may not immediately put them back in a leadership role somewhere. I mean, we wouldn't do that. But we would restore them to membership and allow, and allow them to be a member of the church. So, so, so that's my answer to that question. You know, and, and it's interesting. Oh, absolutely. Sure, yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, I mean... But I think he has vested, he has vested confidence in them. Well, you've right. got that. Well, the, the apostolic authority in Matthew 18 and I believe in 16, he said, Peter, I give you the keys to the kingdom of heaven and you shall, what, what, you, what you loose on earth, 
shall be loosed in heaven. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. So there is, that's why we're so, what's the word I want to use? Discerning about baptism. We're baptizing uh, Anne back there at the end of this month, okay? Anne has shown fruit multiple times uh, in her belief in Christ, in her actions, in her words. Uh, I, I am completely convinced uh, that, that Anne is, is uh, most likely born again, most likely a Christian to the best ability of my knowledge as a pastor, knowing her, talking to her. That is why I say I will bring her publicly before this assembly. I will fill this baptistry up. I will say some words before her and I will baptize her in this water because I believe according to the apostolic witness, we are loosing and binding through that process. No. Now, does that mean it's perfect? No. No. Does that mean that Anne might not be saved? Sure. But, but as far as I can tell, she is. And ultimately... You are correct. Ultimately, if the church made a wrong decision, which, you know, happens very seldom. Um, joke. Okay. Um, <laughs> I'm if, sorry. If I... church discipline was misdirected, there are mistrials, right? There, there, there are people who are in jail that shouldn't be there, right? I mean, that happens on occasion. And if, some, if the church is misguided in a decision... And this person is truly a born-again believer and, you know, it just so happens that things didn't work out the way that they should work out. Ultimately, God understands and he knows and that's why he's the ultimate judge and he's going to vet everything out in the end. Mm -hmm. uh, but we do the best job we can to align ourselves with the will of God and to make the decisions that would honor his word, which we know in turn honors right. him. Right. So. Oh, yeah. yeah. And how bad? How bad can it be? Yeah. Yeah. And Paul, Paul, yeah. pretty much, Paul is so confident. I mean, I guess he assumes that this guy that slept with his mom uh, or stepmom, I mean, he is so confident that this guy's a believer, I guess, that he, I mean, he says literally, hand him over to mm -hmm. Satan. Mm -hmm. uh, pretty much let Satan have his way with this man mm -hmm. so that he'll learn, he'll, he'll turn from his right. sin. That's right. It's, it's like the, the, the prodigal son. Once you eat from the pig trough enough, it's like, oh, this is pig trough food, and I could be having steak dinners. Okay. Right. right. That was a good discussion. Y'all got my heart pumping. All right, we got to move on, or guess what? Hey, Next Hebrews! Week, Hebrews yes! We, we love Hebrews Drag it out of here. here. All right. <laughs> All right, I'm gonna I'm gonna go I'm gonna blow on by his his uh, his views here. You can read those yourself. He is just giving you the three major interpretations of that passage, of which we just thoroughly discussed more deeply than what what he's even put in there. So I'm gonna go ahead and go go past that. Uh, do, 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 do. Let's see where we go here. Um, yeah, he went he went into that deeply. Okay, so we resume we resume the priesthood beginning at chapter seven verse one. So that's where we are right now. Chapter 7, verse 1, so we've gotten past this, uh, this deeply corrective warning that we have here. So chapter 7 begins with, say his name, Melchizedek. Melchizedek. Has any, did any of you name any of your kids Melchizedek? I'm just curious. Okay, nobody did. All right. Old Mel. Old Mel, yeah, Melchizedek. Yeah. Next one I have. <laughs> <laughs> Next one you have. Thanks, Tony. All right, so uh, he is a type of Christ in every way, as we have already explained, the backstory on Melchizedek is Genesis 14. Uh, verses 5 through 12, Levi was in the loins of Abraham and was descended from Abraham, which shows that Melchizedek is greater than the Levitical priesthood. Aaron's priesthood belongs to the Mosaic law, and Christ has delivered us from the laws. It's, it's real, though, all those parallels, they're just mind-blowing, and you kind of have to... To, to get your mind around that, you really... You have to go back, you have to find a quiet place, and you have to read the Scripture and read the scripture, and read the scripture, and read the scripture. That's what I had to do, because I heard people all my life, and, well, well uh, you know, he's in the order of Melchizedek, and I'm like, what, 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 does, what, that does, that, what does that mean? You know? <laughs> and I mean, you have to go back. It's just like the Abrahamic promise, and we're children of Abraham. I'm like, and who in the world what does that mean? No, I'm not. My dad, I'm adopted. I don't even know who my biological dad. You know, so, so you have to go back in the scripture, and you have to, you have to, you have to study that stuff. So, yeah. All right, um, we resume the... Oh, well, that's a duplicated thing. Or is it? No, it's not. I'm sorry. So we resume the priesthood. All right, verses 13 through 16. Since Jesus did not come from Levi, 
the priesthood had to be changed. So Christ was made a priest after the order of Melchizedek, and he was made this by the power of a what? Endless life, because the key distinguishing factor between the Levitical priesthood and the priesthood of Melchizedek was what? All the Levitical priests, what happened to them? They eventually died, okay? But the Melchizedekian, I guess, <laughs> That's a priesthood went on forever. And perpetual sacrifice yes. versus one-time sacrifice. Yes, one-time, exactly. Because he makes the point as well, they were imperfect people. So they had to not only make sacrifice for the nation, they had to make sacrifice for themselves. Um, Jesus, perfect sacrifice for perfect Savior, one time. Exactly. Yeah. And, and what he just talked about, Stringfellow wants you to do underline verses 24 through 27 in chapter 7. So just uh, take a pen if you've got one, if you haven't done it already. Hebrews chapter 7, verses uh, 24 through 27. It says, but he, meaning Christ, holds his priesthood permanently because he continues for how long, everybody? Eternally, forever. Consequently, he is able to save to the uttermost those who draw near to God through him since he always lives to make intercession for them. For it was indeed fitting that we should have such a high priest, holy, innocent, unstained, separated from sinners, and exalted above the heavens. He has no need like those high priests to offer sacrifices daily first for his own sins and then for those of the people since he did this once and for all when he offered himself up. That is beautiful. It is. Then the sum of it all is Hebrews 8, chapter, uh, chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is where? Seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places, in the true tent that the Lord set up, not man. That is beautiful. Dude, that's beautiful, so beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right, there are two covenants, the Old Testament, New Testament. That's just going through chapter 8. The first covenant was not adequate. And God found fault with the people, not the covenant. So God gave them a what? A new covenant. And this is the passage that you probably heard until you wanted to come up to the pulpit and strangle me uh, for the year that we were in Hebrews. Jeremiah 31, 31 through 34, okay? In Jeremiah's ministry, God gave Jeremiah the vision, the truth of the coming new covenant that Jesus would fulfill in the Old Testament in Jeremiah 31. Uh, are you there, Colton? Aren't you, are you in Jeremiah? I no, thought I'm you not, might be there. I'm not. I should have been going okay, there. Okay, Jeremiah 31. And if you don't have this, like, underlined and highlighted, you need to in your Bible. 31, 31 through 34. And your Bible should have it uh, notated somehow since it's so significant. And it says, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah. Not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt. My covenant they what? They broke. Though I was their husband, declares the Lord, but this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days. I will put my law where? Within them, not on, not on tablets of stone, but inside them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, which, which is a foreshadowing of what coming, of who coming, rather? The Holy Spirit indwelling our hearts. Okay, so get that. So this is Jeremiah, right? This is a long time before the writer of Hebrews was here, and so Jeremiah, through the Holy, the Holy Spirit through Jeremiah, is predicting this day. Right? So it's one of the reasons why we're all sitting around here and studying this and, and believing in Jesus is because all this happened way before it was, it was, uh, it, it happened, the, the writing happened way before it actually happened. And I will be their God and they shall be my people and no longer shall each one of, uh, teach his neighbor and each his brother saying, know the Lord for they shall all know me from the least of them to the greatest declares the Lord for I will forgive their iniquity and I will remember their sin no more. Hallelujah. Praise, Praise God, God Almighty. All right, in chapter 9, we say, why don't you read for a minute there, Colton? Yeah. Let's see. Let me Use this where... one because I updated it since I oh, okay. uh, put it out there for you. All right. Can you see it okay? Yeah. All right. 
Uh, in chapter 9, we see uh, contrasts in verses 1 through 5. We see that the tabernacle, uh, what the tabernacle was in verses 6 through 10, what was done in the tabernacle and why in verses 11 through 12, the greater ministry of Christ, which again, when he talks about, the author of Hebrews talks about the Old Testament, the tabernacle, the temple, the sacrifices, these were shadows of the things to come, the greater things in Christ. It's, it's glorious, and like Shelby said earlier, it's, you, I mean, we could preach through Hebrews again. <laughs> we could. I mean, it's just so, it, yeah. there's just so much in this, though. I joke, but seriously, it's amazing. Um, in this section is a wonderful study of types, it's just kind of alluded to that, pictures, um, pictures of what the Old Testament, I'm sorry, Old Covenant revealed in the New. Uh, read and underline 9, 11 through 15. You want to? Sure. Yeah, I'll, I'll read it. Great. You got it. Yeah. Uh, we're in a chapter 9, verse 11. But when Christ appeared as a high priest of the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent, not made with hands, that is not of this creation, he entered once and for all into the holy places, not by the means of blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus, thus securing an eternal redemption. For if the sprinkling of defiled persons with the blood of goats and bulls and with ashes of a heifer sanctifies for the purification of the flesh, how much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God? That, you know, when I read that, that if there was one thing in my life personally where there was a very distinct change from the life before I was a Christian to the life after I was a Christian, it was the weight of the sinful guilt was lifted off my conscience. Uh, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, I think I've told you all this before, but I'll tell you again. There was a time in my life, uh, you know, I had, I had a long struggle with alcohol and drug use before I became a Christian, and I remember near the end, uh, near the end before I was saved, I literally, literally had to drink myself to sleep in the evenings because my conscience would not shut up. It just would not shut up. It was like, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're a drunk, you're a drunk, you're a drunk, you're worthless, you're worthless, you're worthless. And I would just have to drink until I just, I, and, and I would go to sleep and wake up the next day and it would start all over again. But, but when, I came, when I came to know Jesus, that guilt and the, the silencing of my conscience against myself was, was I mean, it was absolutely amazing. Powerful. Absolutely amazing. Yeah. Yes. And I think, too, just thinking about the fact that, you know, day in and day out, these priests had to, you know, essentially slaughter these animals so that they could, you know, atone for their sins. And you think about, you know, taking the knife, killing this animal, smelling the smell, seeing the, what they had to see, you know, day in and day out to offer these sacrifices, burning these animals, doing different things with these animals unto the Lord so that they could have some kind of mediation between them and God. Um, you know, a priest meaning bridge builder, they were, you know, trying to build a bridge to God uh, through their sacrifices. And the fact that now in Christ we have freedom and liberty no longer having to uh, sacrifice these goats and these bulls and these lambs, no longer having to day in and day out um, have our conscience be burdened by, oh my gosh, I've got to go take another goat to the temple, you know, uh, or a dove or a burnt offering. No longer, because we're free in Christ. Mm -hmm. The one-time offering, the perfect satisfier of God's wrath, uh, it's just, it's... It's breathtaking. Well, it's just hard. I mean, it's, it's, it's one of those things that just, it just mystifies us as, as, as people that, that yeah. God could do something like that. Absolutely. You know, that we, we don't have to do anything except believe and have faith in Christ yeah. to be saved. Absolutely. All right. We've got to move on here. The new covenant is sealed by better sacrifice. We have talked about this and talked about this and talked about this. Uh, I don't know why we would need to uh, hit it again. We can do the, uh, the verses here. Uh, verse 19 would be in... Are we in verse 9? 9.19. Uh-oh. For when every commandment of the law had been declared by Moses to the people, he took the blood of calves. I'm in chapter 9, verse uh, 19. Yeah. Uh, he took the blood of calves and goes with water and scarlet wool and hyssop and sprinkled both the book itself and all the people, saying, this is the blood of the covenant that God commanded for you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with the blood the tent and the vessels used in worship and so forth, and that was for the, atone, for the atonement. And then he said, compare that with 26. 
For then he would have had to suffer repeatedly since the foundation of the world. But as it is, he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to put away sin by the sacrifice of himself. Beautiful. All right, and then 27 he said too, and just that is appointed for a man to die once and after that comes judgment. So Christ having been offered once to bear the sins of many. That's great. All right, Hebrews 10.10, he goes next to jump to Hebrews 10.10. And again, this this theme, it seems redundant, but it's redundant for a reason, and why is that? What's the reason of Christ's once and for all sacrifice? Why is it redundant? Because it's so difficult to grasp, right? And it's so important because that's the whole deal with Jesus. Well, and I think he's, he's also trying to show these Hebrews, do you get it? Yeah. Do you get you it don't now? have to keep going Do to the temple and sacrificing these animals. The old sacrificial system, done. The old priesthood, done. The old Moses, done. The old, you know, he, he's saying all of these things are not, are not really essentially, they are done away with in Christ, but in the sense of he fulfilled them. Not in the sense that he chucked them out in the trash, right. but he fulfilled them. Right. Hebrews 10.10, 10, and by that will we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ. Say that with me. Once for all. Beautiful. All right. Uh, the new covenant settles forever our, our salvation. Chapter 10, verses 1 through 18. It is without spot of necessity, no remission once for all. Let me just read that. 1 through 18. For since the law... has but a shadow of good things to come instead of the true form of these realities. It can never, by the same sacrifices that are continually offered every year, make perfect those who draw near. Otherwise, would they not have ceased to be offered since the worshipers, having once been cleansed, would no longer have any consciousness of sin? But in these sacrifices, there is a reminder of sin every year, for it is impossible for the blood of bulls and goats to take away sins. Consequently, when Christ came into the world, he said, sacrifices and offerings you have not desired, but a body you have prepared for me. In burnt offerings and sin offerings, you have taken no pleasure. Then I said, behold, I have come to do your will, O God, as it is written of me in the scroll of the book. That book, that's cited out of Psalms uh, 40, 40, verses 6 through 8. When he said above, you have neither desired nor taken pleasure in sacrifices and offerings and burnt offerings and sin offerings... These are offered according to the law. Then he added, behold, I've come to do your will. He abolishes the first order to establish the second. And by that will, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands daily at his service, offering repeatedly the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God, waiting from that time until his enemies should be made a footstool for his feet. By a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. And the Holy Spirit also bears witness to us after saying, this is the covenant that I will make with them. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws on their hearts and write them on their minds. Then he adds, I'll remember their sins and their lawless deeds no more. Where there is forgiveness of these, there is no longer any offering for sin. Wow. Sorry about that. Somehow I lost configuration on the thing here. Okay. Is that back up there? You don't have a connection to my laptop. Oh, well, let me try again. Sound room. Not wanting to talk. It's not wanting to talk. Still nothing? Wow. Well, I'm hitting it. Sorry, we're having technical difficulties, everybody. We, uh, we lost the um, connection to the, uh, to, the, to the screen up there. I don't know what's going on. I love these moments because they remind us of just how much we need Christ, right? So, <laughs> yeah, that's it. We are not perfect. We I, don't pretend to be. I don't know what's going on. I don't know what's going on. Yeah, we'll just keep going. Okay, so let's move on here to the next panel. Uh-huh. 
Jeremiah 31. God made the promise to Jeremiah in the new covenant. It really stuck out to me was in verse 54. It said, you read, I will forgive their iniquity and their sin, and I will remember it no more. Yeah. I mean, that, that, yeah. Why, why do we love Christ like we do? Because he, you know, he forgets, once we come to him, he forgets everything before. Yeah. 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 That's awesome. It's amazing. It really is. Right. Right. Yeah. Constant. Yep. Yeah. Constant. Absolutely. Oh yeah, it's gorgeous. It's a, the gospel is amazing. That's right. Beautiful. All right. So we got we got nine minutes. Nine minutes. Nine I minutes. mean, we don't have very many slides left. I looked. Okay. Good. You're doing good, man. <laughs> the superiority of the life of Christ. So it gives assurance of faith. Having therefore, brethren, boldness to enter into the holiest of the blood by the blood of Jesus. Then he tells us to read 19 through 22. It is Jesus that allows us to pray to God because of his sacrifice. So that's chapter 10, 19 through 22. Colton, why don't you read that? That's pretty short. Yeah, 19 through 22. Mm -hmm. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain, that is, through his flesh. And since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith with our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Yeah, full, full assurance of faith. Yeah, new living way. He's opened that new living way. We have a great high priest. And I we love, can draw near, yeah. I love how he compares the curtain to the curtain of his flesh. Mm -hmm. You know, no longer are we entering in through the, the holy of holies curtain, which only one person could go into. We all can enter in through the curtain of his flesh. Yeah, that's powerful. All right, so it gives us an assurance. It also gives us a working faith. And if you remember, uh, Hebrews chapter 11 is that whole list of all the Old Testament saints. We spent a lot of time uh, going through that about, what, about a year ago, I guess, or yeah. something like that. And it starts off with, um, is it uh, uh, Abel? Is that right? It starts off with yeah, Abel, Abel and goes all the way to uh, some unnamed uh, there's some unnamed folks at the very end, but I think it ends with David, Samuel, the prophets uh, there in the end of the, at the end of 11. If you haven't read that in a while, read through it. It's, re it's really fascinating uh, to, to see. So learn the definition of faith. Hebrews 11.1 1 says, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. So we should be able by faith to act on things not seen. So you find in this chapter only some of the faith people of the Old Testament count and underline by faith. That's a really good exercise to do when you have time. Just take a pen and go through there by faith, by faith, by faith. Just underline all those. I, I also think one verse that I think is just super important when you're looking at mm -hmm. chapter 11 is verse 6. Because, I mean, this is kind of the point. He says in verse 6, And without faith it is impossible to please him. Whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that, the, uh, that he rewards those who seek him. And so he's saying all of these people who were successful were successful because they had faith in God. Yeah. And if you're going to be successful in your, in your walk with Christ, you must have faith, radical faith, like they did. Without faith, it is impossible to please God. Yeah. The other thing that faith is gives you patience and direction. Who here could use some more patience? Give me a witness. Everybody, yeah. if you're married, got kids, work a job, any, any outside force whatsoever coming upon your life, you need patience. Because of the great faith of people of chapter 11, let us look unto Jesus, the author and finisher of that should be our faith. And the Lord directs us because he loves us and chastens us. We don't want to talk about discipline, but it's true. Uh, Hebrews 12, 6 through 7, we've talked about discipline a little bit already, Jack, with your, with your question. Uh, for the Lord disciplines, we're in uh, chapter 12, verses 6 and 7. For the Lord disciplines the one he loves and chastises every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons for what son is there whom his father does not discipline. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. And of course, I've always thought the reason why he, he put that in there was because it's real easy 
when, when adversity comes your way because of being a Christian, we, we sometimes can develop this idea that I have done something wrong, right? That I've done something wrong. Well, that's possible. Or you could just be, what, being persecuted for your what? For your faith, right? So either way, God will use that for your good, no matter what it is. But he will always discipline you because he loves you. If there's one thing our society is missing today, I would say it's discipline. Can I get an amen? Yes. Okay, by and large. Yes. Instruction in walk and worship. The believer now approaches the Mount Zion, the city of God, where Hebrews 12, 22, not Sinai representing the law. So he uses both, both mountains, kind of a representation of law and then heaven. As Christians, we are already citizens of that glorious place. He calls us by name. We are church of the firstborn in chapter 12, verse 23. But you have come to Mount Zion and to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to innumerable angels in festal gathering and to the assembly of the firstborn who are enrolled in heaven. Or the assembly, another word for that is church. The book closes in chapter 13 with its most important teachings in verses 20 and 21. The power of God, the death of Christ, his resurrection, his present work, the everlasting covenant, the object of Christ's word to restore that which is well-pleasing in God's sight. And of course, uh, Colton's favorite verse in all of uh, Hebrews is Hebrews chapter 13, verse 17. Y'all want to hear it? Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Did y'all know that? I read that, I mean, I, I told, one time I told a church leader back probably 20 years ago, I said, you do realize that the reason why I'm so strict about the word of God is because one day I will go before God and I will give an account for the way I have shepherded his church. And he viciously disagreed with me. And he said, there is no way that is true. You cannot show me that in the word of God. And I went, I cannot believe I'm about to have to correct an 83-year-old man in the scriptures. I mean, it was just, I, I felt terrible. And I had to open the Bible up and read him that passage. And he just sat there with his mouth open. It was terrible. Yeah. Terrible. All right, Conclusion. Hebrews should be studied in connection with the book of Exodus. There are so many types, pictures, and teachings that we had to pass over. It might take you a year to get through it. Amen? Please, in your own study, go back again. All right. To whom was the book written? Final questions. Okay. Hebrew Christians. Jesus is better than. Name one. Prophets. Name another one. Name another one. Yes. Excellent. Christ is a priest after the order of... Melchizedek. Well, y'all got that one, man. We, didn't, yeah. we beat that in y'all's heads, I guess, over the past year. Old Mel. <laughs> <laughs> Good thing you didn't answer that, right? Second Samuel 7, that's it, man. You got it. It's great. So what is the new covenant? Yeah, what is the new covenant? Okay, that's exactly right. Do you remember what chapter in Jeremiah it was, it was uh, prophesied? Yes, outstanding. All right, that's it. Get the prayer sheets there, Brother Colton. Yeah, let's do it. Let's see here. I'll read a few of these right quick while Colton is collecting those. Um, Sterling Lance has surgery tomorrow at Southern Hills, so remember Sterling. Uh, Sherry Smith has an urgent prayer request for her best friend, Susan Maxwell. Do y'all, is this, do, do y'all all have this, or is this just me that has this? Do y'all all have this out there? No. Okay. Um, let's see. Susan's daughter, Jessica Wright, is in ICU at St. Thomas Rutherford. Okay, so this is Sherry Smith. This is Susan's daughter, Jessica. And Susan and her husband both have COVID and cannot go to the hospital. So that's that, golly. Remember Andrea Sprague, her family, uh, her mom is uh, on hospice and uh, facing her last days. Uh, and then there's some praises on good results. Uh, Joyce Coleman's procedure went well on Monday. Linda Lucarini's surgery went well. She should be home by now. Uh, Cecilia Peach should have been released this afternoon. I, I don't know if that happened. And I believe, you go ahead, Colton. I think yeah. there was a couple more. Um, I've got uh, David Morris on here. Praise report. Uh, he said, uh, God took care of me during Christmas. Thank you all for your prayers. So uh, thank Wonderful. you guys for praying for David. Um, also, Ann Grobner said, uh, Josie and Trevor are having a memorial service for the baby that was born oh, yeah. too early. Um, yeah, I saw that. Sunday afternoon. So please, please be in prayer for them. I can't even imagine uh, that. Uh, put this on there. Susie Chambers texted, and uh, her father goes to Vanderbilt for some labs tomorrow. 
for some different things. He's got some ongoing issues that she uh, wants us to pray for. And um, Linda Crossland's sister is uh, very sick and probably is in her last days as well. So she's been praying, wants us to pray for her. And I think that's it. Any other, any others while we've been up here talking? Any others struck? Yes, Dean. Okay, Rosemary Nelson recovery. Okay. Okay. And don't forget to, to begin to uh, write down some questions about the Bible. Or we have one. We do. Okay, one yeah, out we, of someone, someone 30 people. Very awesome and just wrote it right down on the prayer sheet. Beautiful. That's what I asked him to do. Yeah, that's, uh, I didn't hear you say that or I oh. lived or I just ignored <laughs> you. I don't, I don't know. It's okay. So, uh, yeah, but it's a really good question. So okay, we need questions. We need scriptures that you're that you've got questions about. So please, please, please send them in. Now, look. Let me tell you what. If if you're not putting questions down as a ploy to try to make that series short, we're going to come up with questions. We're going to come up with them. So so it's going to be several weeks either way. So you've got to come up with some questions. And if you want to give us some real head scratchers, then you guys do it because we're right. going to make it easy on ourselves if we come up with them. So that's, that's right. That's <laughs> yeah. right. All right, brother, pray for us. Uh, Let's do it. Let's join me in prayer. Father God, I can't even begin to just praise you enough for how much of a delight it is that you sent your son to save us, that you had it in your mind from the very beginning to uh, insert into humanity this new covenant, this this new uh, commitment that you are going to make with us through the blood of your son to save us from our sins, O oh Lord. It doesn't take us long to be educated on how to sin and how just wretched we are as people. When we're exposed to your word, Lord, we've, we, I've, I've learned very quickly just how terrible I can be in my mind, in my heart, in my actions, in my words. And yet, Christ, you saw all of that in all of us. Father, you saw all of that in all of us. Holy Spirit, you saw all of that in all of us, and yet you came. You came to offer your own blood on the cross, your innocent blood, that we might be clean, that we might be made new, that our consciences, as as my brother Shelby said tonight, might be cleared. And I thank you so much, Lord. If only we could grasp and taste just a little ounce of how good this gospel is and truly just take hold of it with all of our hearts, we would be moved day by day, closer and closer to you, O Christ. And I truly believe that we are doing that. And Lord, would you, would you help us to do that all the more? Would you sanctify us? Would you grow us in holiness, Lord? I'm asking you now, not just for myself, but for this congregation that we love and that we serve. God, would you grow us one step at a time toward holiness so that when people look inside these doors, they'll see a different people than what they see in the culture. God, they'll see a people who are holy, But not only that, they'll see people who are defined by love because we have been loved and we have experienced the greatest love of all all times. Because of you, Christ Jesus, we thank you. I can't thank you enough, Lord. And I pray it's that same kind of love and that beautiful gospel message that, that carries people like Josie, Lord, and Trevor through a difficult season. The most difficult season. I can't imagine, Lord anything more more terrible and more awful to walk through than what they're walking through right now. Lord, I, I, I can't even take my mind there. And so, Lord, I pray for them. The only thing I know that will comfort them in this moment is your presence. Mm-hmm. Because I know, Father, that you tell us in your word that your peace goes beyond all understanding. Because right now they can't understand their situation. And so, God, instead, I pray you would just replace it with peace that they would find a comfort in, in, in the, the sharing community and fellowship of you, our Lord. Please be with them in their heartache, I pray. God, please be with Earl as he goes and has checkups at Bandy. Lord, um, this has been an ongoing deal for him, and, and I can only imagine how tired he can get of, of day in and day out battling and wrestling this cancer, having to go to multiple visits and not knowing what he's going to hear the next time he goes to a hospital visit, Lord. Would you please protect him? God, would you keep him, Lord? I, I can't even imagine in, in that situation, Lord, the discouragement that can set in at times. And so, God, please, would you comfort his soul? Lord, I thank you for, for our brother David, and um, I thank you for his endurance. I thank you for his example of endurance through difficulty, God. 
that he loves you, that he loves your word. I can see that in him, and it encourages my soul because it tells me that there, there's going to be seasons that are going to be difficult for me, and yet I can endure. If my brother can endure, then I can endure because you are good, Christ. Uh, you are better than anything that this life offers, and so I thank you for that. And I thank you for a, a loving congregation that circles around each one of us when we're struggling and when we're in pain, and so I thank you for that, Father. Uh, Lord, I, I pray for Linda Croslin and, and her sister in her last days. God, would you please bring her comfort as well? Uh, Father, I, I plead that, and, and please be with Rosemary as well, and, and these other prayer requests, and, and even the ones that have not been mentioned, mentioned the ones that Shelby has mentioned, our, our sweet sister Cecilia, Lord, would you be with her? Uh, would you help her, to the doctors, to, to, to get her on the right track and for her to be healed? And God, we would love to see that. We would love to see our sweet sister come back into this church and, and see a smile on her face. And she smiles even through the pain. But Lord, would you please bring her back and, and let her smile because there's been some good news, Lord, and uh, ongoing good news. Father, we pray that. Uh, we love you. Please be with us as we leave this place tonight. Help us to rejoice in what we have in the gospel and to move past the elementary doctrines and to grow strong and uh, like oak trees in the faith and where we don't need milk anymore, but we're, we're feasting on meat, the meat of the gospel. Help us to do that as well, O oh Lord, so we can shine your light brighter. It's in your heavenly name I pray all these things. Amen. Amen. Thank you all so much Thank for your you attention tonight.